Turn to John chapter 14, if you will, in the Bibles in your chairs. John chapter 14. If you've just met someone who's maybe here for the first time or you've not met them before, make sure you take them for coffee. Make them feel uh, at home. You're the host, they're the guest. Uh, we are, we've been in a series um, looking at the book of John and asking the question, what did Jesus say about a, a number of different topics? Tonight, we're asking the question, what did Jesus say about the Holy Spirit? And what we're going to do is we're going to look at three words Jesus used to describe the Holy Spirit over three chapters, John 14, 15, and 16. I'm not going to read all of those chapters. I'm just going to read uh, excerpts from them. And uh, the little bits I read will be up on the screen, but you might want to keep the Bibles open uh, so you can uh, follow it as well. So I'm going to pick it up, John chapter 14, verse 16, and uh, this is Jesus talking to his disciples. He says this, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. From verse 25, all this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. And then into chapter 15, verse 26, when the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And then chapter 16, verse 7. Very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin, righteousness, and judgment. And from verse 12. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes... He will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. Now, I wonder in in those uh, few verses, those few selected uh, passages I read, I wonder if you picked out the repeated phrases, the the repeated words that Jesus uh, used. There are three key words that he uses. And they come to a certain, they they come several times, they come with a certain amount of interchangeability uh, between them. And yet each of these words gives us an understanding to um, who the Holy Spirit is. The first word is he, or his, or him, a derivative perhaps of the personal pronoun. That, that comes 16 times uh, in those uh, few verses that I, I've, just, I've just read. In fact, have a look at the uh, text, the white text, as the reading is just sort of scrolled through. You can see it there, his, he, him, again and again. And again, and the key thing here, the Holy Spirit is not a thing. It's not a, a force or a power or something abstract and, and weird. No, no, Jesus speaks of the Holy Spirit as a person. His, he, him, as a person. So straight away, we are um, faced with possibly the somewhat mist we make of that. Throughout the Bible... We see these persons of the Godhead, or the persons of the Trinity, described with individual activity, specific roles and functions. And there's certainly some distinctiveness 
to each of these persons. But there's also such unity and oneness that at times the persons seem to be uh, interchangeable. So, for example, you might have picked this up in, in, in our reading. Uh, in our passage, Jesus tells us twice that the Father is sending the Holy Spirit to us. You, you may have noticed that. That was in chapter 14. Twice, he says, the Father will send the Holy Spirit to us. But then, twice, Jesus says he's sending the Holy Spirit in chapter 15 and chapter 16. So who is it? Is it the Father or is it Jesus? Okay, Jesus, of course, said, I and the Father are one. He said that. He said to his disciples, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. At the beginning of uh, this book, John, Jesus says, God, speaking of the Father, God is spirit. So my, my mind is beginning to... To, to wobble and, and, and uh, suffer at the moment. Then in, later on in the book of Acts, Luke is talking about the Holy Spirit and describes the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of Jesus. There's a certain amount of interchangeability among them. There are three persons of the Trinity. There is one God. Are you, is your mind boggled yet? Do you know, it, it doesn't trouble me at all that I can't completely get my head around this concept. doesn't trouble me. Because by definition, God is going to be bigger than our minds. We will never get a complete understanding of God where we got sorted. I have mastered the concept of God. That's just not going to happen. He's the creator. We are the created. But the Trinity does tell us something really, really important. It shows us that at the very core, God is relational at his very core because he's interacting permanently, eternally with the three persons of the Spirit. He is relational to his very core. And we see, as we see them interact in the Bible, we see also that God at his very center is a God of love. So there's a road over there called Trinity Road. There are three lanes on Trinity Road that, without any warning, go into one. When you're sitting in traffic next on Trinity Road, you can ponder the mystery of the Trinity for yourself. And hopefully you'll get further than I have. Uh, For today, all you need to know, all we need to think about today, is that Jesus called the Holy Spirit He and Him. He is a person. Sometimes called the third person of the Trinity. He's a person. And that is hugely important, as, as we'll see later on. I want to look at the second word that Jesus uh, uses, and we'll pull all these together at the end. The second uh, word Jesus uses is, is this, the spirit of truth. The spirit of truth. You may have picked that up as we, had our, as we read it. He used it once in chapter 14, once in chapter 15, once in chapter 16. Jesus is passionately concerned that we may know the truth, that the truth doesn't need to evade us. He is passionately concerned that we may know the truth. That verse in chapter 16 says, When he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. Now the context here is is absolutely key. If we're to understand how he's going to guide us, we need to figure out the context. And in these chapters, Jesus, who's he speaking to? Initially, primarily, he is speaking to his first disciples, the apostles. These are the guys who've lived with him, uh, who've been eating meals with him day after day after day for three years. They've They've lived with him. They've slept rough with him 
For three years, they've uh, been with him, listening to his teaching again and again and again for three years. They are his immediate audience. It is they who are going to launch the church in just a few weeks' time from when this, uh, when this passage uh, is speaking about. They're going to launch the church. They're going to teach the church. And, of course, they are going to record and write the words of the New Testament. They are the first audience. It's, it's worth noting, as Jesus speaks to these guys, he uses both a past element in his conversation and a future element. Here's, here's the past. Chapter 14, verse 25. He says, all, all these things I've, I've said to you, I've spoken while still with you, while we've been together. But the Holy Spirit will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So he talks about the things he's already said, and the Spirit will teach them, help them understand those things. You remember maybe some of the stories from the Gospels. Uh, there was so much teaching Jesus did, so often the disciples were just like, what? And, and again and again, the Gospels just sort of make it clear that they missed it again and again and again. So I think it's quite reassuring that the Holy Spirit says he will teach you all things. He'll make all of this become clear to you. And uh, he will remind you of everything Jesus has said. That, that's the past element, what he has already said. There's a future element too. Uh, chapter 16, verse 12. Jesus says, I've got much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Hugely reassuring to know it wasn't just left to their memory, which if it's anything like my memory, pretty ropey. It wasn't just left to their imagination, having been confused and befuddled for years. It's like, oh, let's just make something up. But that the Holy Spirit ensured that they knew the truth so they could tell it in the church, so that they could record it for all time. Now, what is primarily the case with the first disciples is often the case for disciples today, for followers of Jesus today. And there's a key word in each of those two verses which points us to that ongoing work of the Spirit. Those words guide and remind. Guide in chapter 16, he will guide you into all the truth. Do you know, if, if we believe that this is God's word, Jesus believed that, the disciples believed that, the apostles believed that, if we believe that this is God's word, This is the main way that the spirit of truth will guide us into the truth, through the word of truth, through the Bible. The reminder thing. You know, you can't remind someone of something that they have never known. We can't expect the Holy Spirit to remind us of something that God has said if we have never known what it was that God has said. And so these two, they're both about the word. In other words, we need to know the Word of God. We need to read it. We need to spend time in it, digest it. There is no substitute for reading the words from the Bible, the Word of God that's already been revealed to us. There's no substitute for that at all. As we do so, we need to ask the Spirit to help us as we read it. We need to come to it with an attitude that is humble, willing to learn, uh, hungry to be taught, sometimes to be corrected, even rebuked. We need to come to it with an attitude that is hungry. So humbly and 
hungry, seeking intimacy with God, eager to respond to what he says, ready to act. The Spirit of Truth, the Holy Spirit, Jesus tells us, is inextricably linked to the Word of God. In fact, in the very next chapter, chapter 17, Jesus says, he's praying now to the Father, and he says, I have given them your Word. Your Word is truth. There's a a great book I've been uh, reading in this week. I think Paul recommended this last week, and I just want to echo it because it really helps us uh, with this understanding of of how to hear the voice of the Spirit through reading the Word of God. Uh, The book is called Hearing the Spirit by a guy called Christopher Ash, uh, who is a great, great Bible teacher. Um, And uh, we've got copies of that on the bookstore. I just recommend that big time. Um, Before I became a Christian, uh, I must have opened the Bible a a number of times and thought, you know, is there anything, you know, how to read through it. And before I became a Christian, I don't think any of it made sense. I I read it and it's like, whatever. It just didn't make sense. Once I'd become a Christian, and with the Holy Spirit living inside me, as with every Christian, this book became something completely different. It it came alive. It became much more like a personal letter from the Father than just some random, slightly weird book which didn't make sense. Still difficult in places, but rich and intimate as the Spirit of Truth brings it to life. Still difficult but very, very special. And I know that that's the testimony of, of many people as well. Ask, ask a Christian, and they will uh, tell you that has been the case for them. So one of the words Jesus uses uh, to describe the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. There is an intimate connection with the word of truth. The third word he uses uh, is the word the advocate. The advocate. It comes four times uh, in the verses we looked at in those three chapters. And this word is, is translated uh, from the original in the, in the Greek. It's translated uh, differently in, in almost every translation uh, in, in English that we come across. So in, in the New International Version, our Bibles um, that we most commonly use, advocate is the word. In the New International Version, um, TNIV, it's, uh, we find the word counselor. In the English Standard Version, in the Good News, it's the word helper. The American Standard Version, the King James Version, Comforter. In the Message Version, Friend. And in the Contemporary English Bible, Companion. All sorts of different words used. It comes from the Greek word uh, parakletos. And and the reason it's so difficult uh, to try and capture it in one word is because that literally means one who is called to be alongside. But that's a bit of a mouthful. Uh, So all the translators have tried to find a word. Do you know, each of those translations, they are good. They are really good. Each of those really helps us understand. But seeing them all together gives us a much clearer idea of what Jesus is saying. And In fact, the picture becomes even clearer still uh, when we reflect on the context. Context in the Bible is always so important. And the context in chapters 13 and 14 of the book of John is this. Jesus has just told his disciples that he is going away, going to the cross. He's he's about to be betrayed, arrested, beaten, and then crucified by the Romans. And the disciples are beside themselves. They're beside themselves with, with that imminent fear. 
that imminent grief of, of losing him, but also that, that fear of when he's gone, what's going to happen to me? This is the man they've lived with for three years, and uh, he has loved them, and they love him. They are in a state. That's why at the start of John 14, Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. He introduces it that way. So they are in a state. And then in verse 16, Jesus says this. He he says, I might be going away, but the Father will give you another advocate, another counselor, another helper, comforter, friend, companion, paraclete, another one to be called alongside, just as I have. In a sense, he's saying, I'm going away, but the Father will give you someone to replace me. I'm going away, but the Father will give you another me. And in verse 16, it says, to be with you forever. Verse 17, you know him already, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus, four times he uses the term paraclete, to tell his friends they are not going to be abandoned. That's the immediate context. They will not be abandoned. Jesus will remain with them through the paraclete, through the Spirit. He will be with them and in them always. And that is awesome. That is awesome. And what happens is that the promise given to them that for the presence of God is the same promise for all of us. The presence of God for every Christian today, just as it was then, enabling relationship with God. Jesus had to go away. He had to. He had to go to the cross because it was on the cross where he paid the penalty for my sin, where he dealt with it, where he won me a clean sheet of paper, a new start. But he didn't just leave it there. He said, yeah, he went away, but then he sent his spirit so that we wouldn't be alone. I think that is amazing. That's the extent of God's love. Not just that he died for us, wow, but that he doesn't want us to be alone. He doesn't think, okay, that's it, good luck, on your own, best of luck. No, he says, no, I will be with you always through that. I've lost count of of times in conversations uh, with people who have described uh, the sense that they have just known the presence of God with them maybe through uh, a dark and difficult time in their life, or, or maybe just through the day-to-day, even the good times. So many times I've heard people say, I just, you know, I just really have felt the presence of God with me, helping me uh, as a companion. And, uh, and that, that is so key. Of course, we mustn't base our faith on those kind of feelings, because those feelings, sometimes they're not there. There are times when we don't feel anything, But at the same time, we mustn't shy away from feelings either. And sometimes we do have that tendency just to keep it all kind of locked up in our heads. If we're having an intimate relationship with God, if the presence of God, the Spirit of God, the paraclete, the one who is alongside and even within us, God himself, well then actually it's okay to let our emotions get involved in that as well. We will have times when we feel something of that uh, as well. We may know his presence, sometimes almost tangible. Like, wow, this is amazing. So let's not shy away from that either. Let me begin uh, to wrap up. Three words Jesus uses again and again and again in these three 
chapters. He and his and, and him, he's a person. He's alive. He's God, the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of truth. The Spirit of truth who leads us into the truth. Firstly, primarily, the word of truth in the Bible. And the advocate, or the paraclete, or one of those other uh, names, with us and in us today. When, when Jesus taught, he never just left things on a theoretical level. He always demonstrated his teaching or, or applied his teaching. And remember, this, this uh, teaching, when he was speaking to the disciples, this took place on the Thursday night when they'd had the Last Supper. Later on that night, he was betrayed, arrested. The Friday, he was killed, crucified, buried. On the Sunday, he rose again. And on that Sunday night, uh, in John 20, it says on the first night of the week, he appeared before his disciples again. They were behind a locked door in a locked room. And he appeared, the resurrected Jesus appeared before them. And he said this to them. First, he, he breathed on them. And then he said, receive the Holy Spirit. It's in John 20. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Probably that is a, was a foretaste of what was to happen on the day of Pentecost. Remember on the day of Pentecost, recorded in Acts chapter 2, there was a great wind that filled the place where they were. A great wind. And all it, it tells us that all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. They must have remembered Jesus' words in John 20 when he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Acts 2, it says they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Two chapters later, Acts 4, the same group of people praying together. Again, the Spirit came. They were filled with the Holy Spirit again. Uh, later in, in one of the letters, Paul writes to the churches in Ephesus, and he says to them, be filled with the Holy Spirit in a, in a continuous, go on being filled again and again and again. Should we, in 2013, seek anything less than that? This filling of the Spirit, should that be something just for then? No, no, no. Those early disciples were filled again and again. Paul exhorted the churches, be filled again and again with the Holy Spirit. And I think that would be a great thing for us to, to do tonight. I suggest we pray. I suggest uh, we ask God to, to come. You know, it was, it was the ancient prayer of the church, come Holy Spirit. And in a sense, that prayer was encapsulating all of this. Come, Holy Spirit. It's the, it's the ancient prayer of the Roman Catholic Church. They still, from time to time, pray it in Latin. Veni Sancti Spiritus, they say. And uh, someone told me recently they uh, heard the Pope pray that in Latin at a gathering. And it was electric. God came and it was, it was incredible. So um, why don't you all stand? Would you all like to stand? Um, we're going to uh, sing uh, something first.